0: Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where each episode, we bring you a fresh and insightful interview with one of Hollywood's top directors, conducted by one of their peers. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is the third and final in our annual series devoted to our popular Meet the Nominees Feature Film Symposium. Now in its 27th year, the event is a roundtable discussion with the directors nominated for the Guild's Award for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Feature Film. This year's nominees include Guillermo del Toro, the director of The Shape of Water, Greta Gerwig, the director of Lady Bird, Martin McDonough, the director of Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Christopher Nolan, the director of Dunkirk, and Jordan Peele, the director of Get Out. Each of these talented directors were gathered on February 3rd at the DGA Theatre in Los Angeles to discuss the craft of directing and the making of their films with moderator Jeremy Kagan. So please enjoy part three of our Meet the Nominees special and listen to the five nominees share their insights on dealing with the unexpected and the best and worst days of directing their films. Highlights from the conversation include Jordan Peele on the scene in Get Out that truly made him feel like a director, Greta Gerwig on how the best and worst days are two sides of the same coin, and why Guillermo del Toro believes that part of directing is orchestrating accidents.
1: One of the factors that... that, um I could sit with you all now for the next couple of hours, but I don't know if that's fair to any of us here. But uh, one of the factors that that I think is an interesting thing for us to look at is the issue of the unexpected and how you deal with it Mm -hmm. and how it sometimes becomes one of the gifts in the movie itself. Were there moments when you would say, I didn't expect this to happen? Not necessarily that one, that may have been one of them. Mm. But and I know with an incredibly complex and technical movie that may not be you may not be able to have that happen, but there may be times even within that where you would say, Yes, I didn't expect this to happen. We did this, and then something else occurred, and that's what's in the movie.
2: Well, with a with a, I make complicated technical films, and so they have to be carefully planned. But the structure that we've come up with and the way we've... Well, the way we've tried to evolve the storytelling method with that is to plan the things that have to be planned quite carefully and then allow within that freedom for serendipity. Um, it's one of the reasons why I try to do everything in camera and not use computer graphics, for example, because computer graphics don't allow for serendipity. They're not... They don't allow for accidents. It's an animator sort of planning something, you know, prefers something um, where you don't quite know how the light is going to fall or how something's going to react physically or what that is. Um, And so you find, I think, even with the most carefully planned sequences, you sort of find your uh, flexibility there. You you find, you know, a a playground, an arena in which, you know, people can perform and and do things. And, And so, for example, you know, from shooting, anywhere really a location or set or whatever, we, you know, we start at seven in the morning with just a rehearsal. And I don't tell anyone where to stand or what to do. We just say, OK, well, let's see what this is going to be, you know. And so the challenge for me over the years has been to find a way to be able to always do that. Because that's how I started off is making films where you just have a little 16 mil camera and some actors and you wouldn't know where you're going to shoot until the day before. And then I'd be like, OK, we're going to shoot in this bar. How do we do that? And you'd go in and explore it. And I love that. And I wanted, I've always wanted to carry on doing that. And so the bigger the film, the less people are willing to accept that as a working methodology. <laughs> they see it as evasion. So I don't storyboard much, for example. But we storyboard enough to just tell everyone, look, this is not chaos. We have a very specific plan. But there are things I don't want to bother to plan. I'm not going to sit down and write single, single, over, two shot. You know, I'm not going to hand that to you every day as if that was some kind of, you know, Rosetta Stone. It's mm-hmm. like we're going to figure this out as we go and have fun doing it. And the one area that that I let everybody know at the beginning of every film, very firmly, we do it is the weather. We shoot whatever the weather. It doesn't matter what it says in the script. It doesn't matter, you know, if it's raining, we shoot it in the rain. If it's sunny, we shoot it in the sun. And we find a way to make that work. And as a result, I've developed a reputation for being very lucky with the weather, and I'm not. <laughs> In the time, no, we've shot in some of the most appalling conditions, but everybody sort of understands that up front. It's like we shoot right to the point where the safety officer says the wind's too high or whatever, or there's lightning and you have to shut down. But um, because something magical visually will come from that. Um, and the truth is, if you don't take that attitude, the weather gods will just laugh at you and laugh at your film anyway. You, you do so. But it's one of the, the key areas where the entire visual patina of the film can be defined even by the unexpected. So the, the specific example I would give at Dunkirk is one of the more important visuals that we actually wound up using in the marketing campaign and everything was this bizarre foam that spread up the beach and it looked like snow. It looked like, you know, yeah. um, something very odd. And I, that was a result of a set of scenes that we shot when we were shut down by weather to the degree that we couldn't go out on the mole set that we had built and it was being destroyed by the waves. And so we went, and we shot some of the other scenes on the beach in really horrendous and miserable and awful conditions. But it provided something that looked amazing that we never would have imagined, I, you know, and couldn't possibly have planned. And it, it became a very defining thing in the film.
1: Wow, that's amazing. I remember, I remember thinking about, boy, I thought, boy, did they get all that suds stuff? Did they put all that <laughs> in there?
2: Yeah, it just, it just happened. And, uh, and, but I've had that in other films as well, where you just, you know, it's like Martin was talking about earlier, shooting in the fog, or, you know, I remember on, on the Prestige, going to the foot of the mountain, we were shooting at the Mount Wilson Observatory and getting this cool saying don't even bother coming up, it's foggy, you know, I'm like, what are you talking about? Let's get in the car and go and shoot. And it was magical, you know, and, and that, that for me is part of the joy of unexpected circumstances, is they tend to be just making you look at things in a very different way.
1: See it differently. For you, were there any moments where you'd say, "Didn't expect this," and
3: there it is? I'm, yeah, I'm having that moment right now. Actually. <laughs> um, well, in truth, you
1: always are in that moment, and I think it's right. well observed.
3: That's right. Well, that no, that that's that, that is a, a great point. I mean, um, you know, as Chris said, it's there's so much, so much life, so much beauty in those those moments. And for you know, this movie was, I did it for 4.5 million dollars. So we were consistently thrown curveballs, and and very very early on, I'm, I made this decision that the the curveballs, the problems, the the walls that get put up in front of my face, were gifts. That any um, uh, you know, I could make the movie that I set out to make, and that would be fine, but every Every time that, you know, the forces that be tell me, nope, you can't have this, is an opportunity to make a, a stronger choice than I thought of, than, than I originally had.
1: And can you give us a, an example that you can think of?
3: Um, well, you know, so, you know, you, you realize, okay, you can't have 40 background performers at this party. Um, I pictured this big party where it was, you get lost, um, we probably ended up, they said, you can have something like, I, I don't remember what, it was, you know, 16, let's say. So that, if, to, to me, I, I you know, I go, well, how do I make that, wh- how does that feel, and how do I make that work for my advantage, to, to my advantage? So it becomes about placing them in a very, in a very choreographed way. So we get this uneasy sense that it's almost like everybody who's supposed to be just acting, you know, normal around the party is is actually following some sort of script, um, and and so just just being, you know, if if I you know immediately went well shit, there's the movie. I can't you know if I can't have this huge party, it's the then that's that's not what I pictured. If I if I did that, I wouldn't be open to this idea of this uh, contrived placement of this these people that ended up you know feeling very you know uh, creepy and eerie and, and sort of undescribably so. That happened like 40 times a day something God. would happen like that.
1: Good to be able to take advantage of what's being given to an unexpected, always.
3: Yeah, for
1: Greta, for you, would would you yeah. say there are moments where I never expected this, and here it is, and
4: yeah. Well, I think similarly to Jordan, I I, I had a very it was a limited budget, so um, so I mean I, I, a lot of unexpected things happen just in pre-production, just as you're you're leading up to the moment that it's happening and you just, I mean, I don't know about you, but I think with smaller movies, there's this feeling of like, let's just get people shooting. (laughs) Like, and and it's that lift off moment because I've been part of so many movies that have just fallen apart. You know, it's happening, then this happens and that, and then everybody it falls apart. And and so, I mean, I don't want to, I mean, there were days when it was just me and the A.D., my first AD, Jonas, and my uh, DP, Sam, and there was no one else driving the ship but us. I mean, to the point of, like, let's just go scout grocery stores we've been in <laughs> right now <laughs> because we don't... Like, if we don't keep this going, there I don't... Because it's just... The, that's the nature of making very small movies. Things fall out and, and things change, and and um, I think that you have to be... A, uh, a bit a bit r- r- crazily relentless about it, because um, there is no reason it should exist on, on some level. Um, mm. I, I th- always think about the the French word for director, the réalisateur, that's a terrible accent but um, but it always felt like to me to be a more accurate description of it, that you have to realize it. Yeah. It's, not, it's not that it's in front of you and it's just waiting to be instructed. It must be realized. <laughs> it has to be realized by you. Um, uh, because you have, it's impossible without a team and a support system, but you are the one that has to keep moving that forward. So in some ways, to me, once, once we were shooting, there were unexpected things that happened, but... Um, Getting up to that point of like, we're shooting this, this train is moving. That, everything before that moment was the most like, oh God, we've just lost this. Or this fell through or, you know, every day.
1: (laughs) Guillermo, any, any
5: moments that you would say, this is a magical
1: moment. Hadn't intended. Here it
5: is. Yes. I mean, and that, that is part of what Chris was saying about shooting in the water. That happens naturally with that element because it's, it's the Roberto Benigni of natural elements. <laughs> just, just overacts, underacts, invades <laughs> everything. That happens a lot. One of the scenes was underwater, the scene in the bathroom. That, right. that, it presents its own challenges because you cannot rehearse that unless you have an unlimited amount of resources, which we didn't have. But I think that, um, in general, I think that... Uh, when you have been doing it for long enough, you understand that uh, there's there's two levels of artistry in what we do. One of them is to create uh, worlds that are color-coded, shape-coded, lighting. It's all telling the story, but the second half of our craft is orchestrating the accident. To truly grab that, and you are the only one that is holding all the strands and there's always one strand, I, I quote often the saying, uh, the sen saying, which is, the obstacle is the path. Yeah. You know, you're the only one that holds all the strands that are narrative, financial, artistic, visual. And there's always one, mm-hmm. if, you're, if you've been doing it long enough, that you go, this is actually giving me the best version of this. No matter what reputation I've developed with the weather, it's nullified by Toronto. You know, Toronto has its own reputation. So to give you an example, um, we have, you know, we shot with horizontal rain in sub-zero temperatures. Uh, that was just absolutely brutal. And still we needed to get through the day, through the scene. And that changes your solutions, you know. Originally I had, for example, there's a scene where Shannon is interrogating Stolberg in, in the sand pits. And we have this huge sand sand mountains, and we had hurricane-level winds, sub-zero temperatures, which resulted in the coldest sandstorm ever witnessed by any human being. It destroyed cameras, it, the sand and the water started getting between the lens. You know, it, it just... It, and then I came up with a solution. I said, okay, I'll, I'll, put the, I'll do everything from the hothead on the techno, and I'll, I'll just move it around. I'll, and I was literally... Uh, and there was real rain on top, of, <laughs> on top of our rain, there was real rain, and no one could get out. so I was in the rain, sub zero temperature being hit by sand, and they were being hit by sand and we were, I was with the operator on the head of the techno, using it like a floating steady cam extend as extend retract and, and we blocked it completely different and Another example which I, I, I quoted and happened is when I scouted. Uh, the exterior of the theater. I wanted to do a crane, and this is very much the epitome of directing. I scouted, I, I wanted a techno when Sally comes down the steps, and I wanted to end, end up here, but there was a lamppost that I couldn't, you know, the city would refuse to move and so forth. <laughs> it, came, it came to shooting the scene. Uh, we, we had only one night for everything out there. Very complicated cranes. <laughs> everything was mounted on a hothead, on a, an anacula, very complicated night. Uh, everything started going wrong. The, we had a drone shot, and the drone with the wind started flying away to the next city. <laughs> we we, have to improv- we improvised the whole night, but the, the main point of improvisation when, came when Shannon, who is an amazing actor, who neglected to tell us that he didn't drive. Oh, and that's when the car passes. Yeah, and then he arrives with the car, and he, take one, is perfect. The DP says, like he always said, do another one. <laughs> and I said, no, we, we do another one. He puts the car, but it never engages with parking. So the car is heading, moving. Shannon jumps, tries to stop the car. The car uh, continues moving, dragging Shannon. <laughs> He's heading straight for Video Village. <laughs> and everybody says, run. I don't run, ever. Uh, I, I just don't run. I, the DP is next to me. He's a very slight little fellow. I imagine that if he doesn't die from the car, I'll roll over him like Indiana Jones <laughs> and I'll kill him. Car is coming, goes through the first lamppost, destroys it completely, goes to the next lamppost and stops because it's concrete. And everybody is horrified. And I come out and said, Oh, now we can do the other crate. <laughs> 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 That's what we do. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is a Mexican way of doing Absolutely. <laughs> no, but, but it. Absolutely. But it is true. A, 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 every crisis, and, and I, I agree with Chris, if, if this is a circus, you are creating an arena. You need to define, prepare, plan, codify everything. So within that space, there's not such a thing as in unlimited freedom. That's madness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need a limit to be free, Within that limit. So, the more you prepare, the more the accident will be benign. What I think is a disaster is when when somebody doesn't prepare and an accident happens. The reason why we can have the strands and say, this is the good one, is because we were fully prepared. And then you can identify the opportunity. But if you don't, the opportunity melts with, with the disaster, and you don't identify. Well spoken. Well spoken. For you, any, would you say, where does accident play?
1: I'm never going to beat that, so... Um, <laughs> so I think I'll just go Pete.
6: Um, no, just less of a technical one, but it's, it's almost more about me being a bastard about the script than mm-hmm. sticking to it, and, and when that didn't happen uh, once, where there's a little scene between Francis and, and Woody Harrelson when he coughs blood in her face, and. Uh, and in the script, it was, uh, he says, sorry, and she says, I know, I know, and then goes out. Uh, but one of the takes, she, she, because they were so connected and so empathetic towards each other, she said, I know, I know, baby. And she only did that once in the scene. And it was just, it was just purely a Francis moment and a purely, and it was the only moment in the film where there's a proper, gentle, humane connection between them. So it's less of a technical, thing going wrong than, than an actor choosing something different that was completely right.
1: But you provided the space where this can happen.
6: You, I provided Francis McDormand oh, with I, the space. I, 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 I,
1: <laughs> you know, I'm thinking about, there's a very complex uh, oneer which goes from or uh, Sam Rockwell walking across the street and there were so many potential things that might not have worked.
6: Yeah, but that was <coughs> strangely, it, 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 and it's kind of like what Jordan said about when you pre-plan all that stuff, and it's surprising that it goes, goes right. And, and you have actually... So we had a great uh, stunt coordinator, Doug Coleman, and great uh, uh, vis- uh, Actually, there was no visual effects, but the people making the, the glass. Uh, and um, so it was all about stunts and replacing stuff quickly, and a great Steadicam operator, Steve Campanelli. Um, so we, so we, we prepared it for, for like the early days of prep and, and, and mapped it out. And you and, knew you wanted to do it as a one Yeah, that was written into the script as a one. And uh, why? Do you remember? Uh, I think just following in character, knowing he's going to do something horrible, but not breaking that with a cut. Uh, it's, it's just going and knowing it's going to be horrible, but just, and however long that takes, let it take it. And you know, the, we even kind of cast the town to have those um, dimensions. Um, so you could follow from one building, literally up the stairs into the next. Um, and, and because we know that, we know where the office is and we know where Caleb is. And, um, but it was, it was just about the stunt uh, coordinator and the first AD coming up with these solutions to, to, to the problem, which involved Caleb getting hit, going down, the stunt guy swapping out in the same clothes, being thrown out of the window at the same time as Caleb is running back down and being bloodied up, costume change, and then following in the same time... Uh, uh,
1: when, when he does that, Face punch to her just as he's coming back down. What was the uh, the, the staging for that? Do you remember? Uh,
6: just to make it as funny as possible.
1: No, I'm kidding.
6: It was uh, it, no. It's just, again, it's just about like timing the stunts. Uh, and Caleb has to do the blood, blood pack himself. Um, but uh, but in all, any time you're doing like a one like that, you, you do pre planning. You don't want anyone to do anything out of the ordinary sam rockwell of course had uh, practiced like this baton twirl and this great spit that uh, was completely uh, news to, to us uh <laughs> two things that could have easily gone wrong but every every single we only did that five times and the first two or three couldn't be used but we could have used like jordan we could have used uh, four and five but the spit was best in the one that we chose <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right my last question for you although i you know, I'd love to talk to you all about music, too, because the music element in every one of your films is incredibly significant and quite original in all the cho- choices that you've made. But we're going to have to save that to another conversation. But I do want do to ask this question, which, which, Chris, you may remember at one time. On this experience, as the director, what would you say was the worst part of the experience and what would you say was the best part of the experience as a director?
6: Uh, honestly, this is the happiest film, filming process I've ever had, um, so there weren't any, any negatives. Um, mostly it was the camaraderie of going to a little town that we all loved and, and be, becoming a team. And, uh, and even though we're telling a dark story, just having strangely a lot of fun doing it.
1: And do you think the fun is because you're having more and more experiences and getting comfortable with this? I think
6: so, yeah. But also working, I like working with a a little repertory company of actors. So it was basically like coming in to see old friends every morning.
1: what makes a difference.
5: For you, Guillermo, worst and best on this movie? Oh, Lord, well, you know, the thing is, um, as much as I know how I'm going to solve technically this or that, one of the things I did in this movie is actually before I did it, I, I sat down and I said, okay, you've done nine movies. Why are you making a tenth one? And if so, what, is, what are you going to learn? What are you going to change as a human being? Not as, just as a director. And I, I wanted to go to a place that was a celebration of movies and therefore tonally it was going to transition from thriller to musical to this and that. It needed all that control. And then I can tell you this, the worst part is... Uh, One, the first day we had one of the most brutal first days that for legal reasons I cannot (laughs) disclose, but basically it moved the entire production two weeks ahead. We had to change the entire schedule two weeks ahead. Nobody, and from then on uh, it was saying, I need to sustain tonally this beautiful song-like, breeziness through everything that comes every day. We have, I can actually respond the opposite, we had one good day of shooting. One. Wow. Uh, which was the, 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 the scene in the theater where the creatures are watching the movies. That was part of this homage to what movie, movie making is and so forth, and the, the rest was, every day we had, like Jordan said, every day we had at least two major crises. Every day, something—you know—a hurricane, (laughs) um, this and that, uh, an accident. And uh, I think I'm going to answer. The best part was that, too, because every time uh, the the difficulties are like the sound barrier. You you know, you once you break through, is the true art. Got it. You know, you said something wonderful
1: that I just want to add to this question. The best in which if you can answer it, how did this movie, if it did, change you? How did this movie change you?
6: Um, I think it's the first one where I felt comfortable actually being a director rather than a writer who directs. Mm.
1: That's a major change. And do you know what that is now?
6: Um, no. <laughs> 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 I'll see if it's still there for the next one.
1: <laughs> Greta, best and worse, and, and can,
5: please, give it. finish? Yes, please. That is a very good question. Yes, uh, my mentor, one of my mentors in Mexico, um, a, a director, Felipe Casals, who's fantastic, saw the movie and he said, you've been holding your breath for nine movies and you finally exhaled. Mm. Mm. And I agree. That was the difference. Got it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. For you, Greta, best, worst, and how did
1: this movie change you? If?
4: Yeah, I think I, I have to agree with uh, the G- Guillermo like. Best and worst is flip side of the same coin for me mm-hmm. because the, the when I think of the things that were the worst, then I think of the the thing that we developed to work around it and then also the immense relief and uh, satisfaction that comes on the other side of it is the best experience. So it's hard for me to, to break it apart like that because it all goes together. I mean, I think... Um, oh, I think that the... I mean, I, I, I love, I love cinema and I love movies and I love movies. I love that they're finite. I love that the, it cuts to black. I can't think of a more, um, upsetting thing when you've loved something and it goes away and you think, ah, oh, I want to get it back. And I think, um, mm. I think that, you know, I, I knew this as an actor, but there's nothing to, to, to learn it more as a director. Um, every single minute you spend doing one thing is a minute you don't spend doing something else because it's one of the very few timed art forms. and um, mm-hmm. and And that is true of all of life. Every minute you spend doing one thing, you're not spending that minute doing something else. But there's a vividness to it when you're making a film yeah. that... Um, you suddenly feel your own mortality in a great way, and then I think when you go watch a movie that touches you somewhere, you feel your mortality. Mm. You feel that end. You feel that that parentheses. And um, I think that experience of of that that clarity of the minutes as they fly is a very um, is a very terrifying, very beautiful place to live. Um, and I think for me, this has been the most uh utterly transformative thing I've I've been able to do. And it's a thing that um I've been working towards and I'd wanted to do for a very long time. But I I can't um it truly feels like a before and after.
1: Then and me. the transformation, can you define some of that?
4: Um I think it's it's um, I think it's 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 like realizing that you, um, I guess I, because we've been talking about you, it's like realizing you have the ability to breathe underwater, and you're standing on the edge of this ocean, and you say, no, 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 I can't, I can't go in, I can't breathe underwater, I can't breathe underwater. And somebody says, well, did you ever jump in? And you say, but I no, because I don't want to drown. And they say, but what if you don't? <laughs> and then you don't.
1: Got it, mm-hmm. right. nicely put. Jordan, best and worst, and yeah. how you've changed because of this movie, if so?
3: Mine's very linked to um, uh, all three of these stories, I think. I mean, it, it's very, it is about money, uh, you know, part of, the, part of the thing about time is that on a film, it's, it's, it's got such a clear value, and it's the most valuable thing in a film. And uh, so, you know, remember, I was, you know, I was saying that I love to give the actors as much time as they need, as we need to figure it out. Um, and you know, about two thirds, I had been operating that way, and about two thirds through of the way through the movie, you know, my AD's looking at me like, today is not that day, and <laughs> no. and I looked at what we needed to get done. <laughs> And it was not that day. And it so happened to be this day we were shooting this scene that is the, it's the keys scene. So after Chris discovers the pictures of Rose, she, uh, uh, and real, we all realize she's in on it. Um, there's, a you know, next four minutes is this scene that's in this nebulous territory where everyone knows everything, but the tension hasn't broke. No one's said it. And it's this very—it's this dynamic, this social balance, and that um, crescendos into you know Rose holding up the keys and saying, you know, I can't give you the keys, babe. So in the beginning of this day, this was the first day I, I came into the trailer, and I said, all right, here's the thing—I I know how we've been working and everything. This day, I know everything I need to get. I—I've seen—I've seen it. I. I'm gonna ha- We. Ca- I'm gonna ask you guys to just trust me on this one. This is not. This is not. We. We. We have to move, or we're not gonna make our day. And it was like. It was. Bas- it was basically like m- the way to in- get mutiny going <laughs> is to like you know assert yourself in, in, in control of the situation. Um, so it was. It was this situation where all you know all of a sudden I've got a bunch of actors who are like whoa 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 I'm I'm used to this process where I know what I'm doing and now you're telling me that I don't get to have that luxury anymore. And, and furthermore, it was, like, it was colored by this thing of like, wait, how, how, is it, how is it going to work that you're going to reveal that Rose is a villain? Then we're gonna have this scene and you're gonna reveal that Rose is a villain again? That doesn't work. And it was this thing that was, it was probably the hardest thing for me to describe why it would work. I knew it would work. I saw it. I felt it, and it was the most difficult day because, you know, I'm 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 asking people to trust me. They they are, but they're maybe uncomfortable with it, and time is running out. And uh, but ultimately, I got them to to do what I needed them to do, and it came. And you know that that final performance from Daniel. Uh, at the end of that scene, where he where he yells at Rose, Rose, show me this kid. There's the one. You know, we did it several times. At the end, you know, I I pushed him to this point where he exploded, um, completely different than any other take, and it was this moment that Guillermo's describing where it felt like we went through the darkest the, the the sonic boom, and we got out on the other side, and it was this beautiful performance. It was this beautiful scene. It's my favorite. One of my favorite scenes to watch, um, and it and so it was like these guys are saying it was the worst day, and it was the best day. It was the day I I felt like okay, now I'm a director.
1: How have you changed this movie? Has this movie changed you?
3: You know, I this has been a dream of mine since I was 12 years old making a movie. I, I've I've wanted this so so bad mm-hmm. that it hurt. It it just it hurt in my, my stomach. And part of what hurt is that I, f- I didn't, you know, I knew it was just a rare privilege to get to make a movie. And so few people did, uh, got to. And I didn't know if I, you know, the, the confident, you know, there were so many reasons I doubted myself. Um, and so to come, you know, many years later, Realize that in the rest of my life as I abandoned my dream. I Never really actually abandoned my dream. I've, I've been working towards building the um, The 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 skill set to, to, to do this movie and I'm so glad I didn't try and do a, a, Do it earlier? Thanks, Jordan
1: Chris best and worst and how has this movie changed you?
2: Uh, Finishing is the best on the worst, always, (laughs) and as far as it changed me, um, I'd never done a film about uh, a real-life event before, and I don't don't think it changed me in a filmmaking sense at all, but I think I come away from the experience feeling that I had a very inadequate grasp of history and its importance, and I I think a lot of people do, actually, so I think in that sense it's probably changed me somewhat. Mm.
1: Well... The work that the five of you have done have changed all of us. We are incredibly appreciative of your spending the time and sharing with us You are remarkable filmmakers, and thank you.
0: We hope you enjoyed listening to part three of this exclusive discussion. You can watch the full video of the Feature Film Symposium on our website at dga.org events past episodes of the director's cut are available wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to click subscribe so you won't miss an episode if you're enjoying the podcast please like share and leave us a review we'd love to hear your feedback thanks for listening and we'll see you next time this podcast is produced by the directors guild of america music is by dan wally